morning again. Happy Father's Day again. Each year since I've been here on Father's Day, um, we look at the life of a man in the Bible, except for one, and I think since Pastor Michael's been here, that's what they've been doing, except for one Father's Day. And that was the Father's Day my dad got to come and preach here. And that was uh, really special. And we just said, hey, preach the message you've already preached before. That way you don't have to do any extra studying. And, and, uh, and so it happened to be one of the ones I remembered. One of those, like, three. Um, <laughs> over 18 years of messages, I think I remember. No. Um, anyway, but each year we've looked at a, uh, the life of a, a man in the Bible. And uh, we, did, we do the same thing for Mother's Day, right? And so this year we looked at the prayer of Hannah as we talked about how the church and it prays. And so this morning, we're going to continue our series on the church, like we did for Mother's Day, right? And so, the church, what's that statement, Pastor Michael? I went back and listened to it to make sure I got it right, of a statement he keeps trying to get us to remember. And so, I think I, I think I have it right, but it's, we know that the church is important to Jesus, right? He founded it, he died for it, he identifies with it, he nourishes and cherishes it. He uses the church to display his manifold wisdom and glory, and he guarantees its victory, Amen. So over the last few weeks, right, we've been looking at different ideas on what it means to be the church. We've talked about being the church by working together, by praying, by giving, by being hospitable. We talked about the church loving, and last week, how the church forgives. So this Sunday, as you may have seen in the bulletin, we're going to see how we are to be the church and as it worships. Be the church, it worships. What is worship? And many of you um, have been taught, like I was growing up, that worship is derived from an old English word that means worship, and as soon as they say that, it's like, oh, okay, I'm getting the idea here. Help me understand it. And when we hear it said, we begin to understand that the act of worship is placing worth on something, worth or value and significance on the one who is worshipped. A definition that I heard a long time ago, uh, I'm not really sure where it comes from. It probably comes from a you know, mix of different, different uh, authors and writers and pastors, and I don't even know, you know if I've molded it in my own a little bit, but worship is the response of a believer in their mind, will, emotions, and body to who God is and says and does. Let me say that again. Worship is the response of a believer in their mind, their will, their emotions, their body, all of them. It's the, all of you. It's not just one aspect. It's, it's everything. And it's a response to who God is, to what God says, to what he has done, what he's do- doing now, and what he will do. You know, in Revelation 4.11, we read, Worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Backing up three verses, we read this familiar verse. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is and is to come. So as we're building to verse 11, the first one I read, this is what's happening. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? That, that holy, repeated three times, just trying to express so deeply his holiness. Isaiah does the same thing. And then we read that he is worthy of all glory, honor, and power. And then if you go over one chapter and one verse, we read, worthy is the lamb who was slain. This is in Revelation 5, 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And these are probably some familiar verses if you've been in church a while. Right? We worship God because he alone is worthy. We are not worthy of worship. Right? Created things are not worthy of worship. Only the one who created all things. Only the creator is holy, holy, holy and worthy of worship. All worship is to be directed to the one who receives all glory, honor, and power. So then how does the church worship? And honestly, this question 
is just too vast to give an answer to this morning, right? And to even give it just a summed up answer. It's something that I, I don't even think I can completely answer, if I'm being honest, because I believe that there is no limit to our worship of God. And so, as we mature in our relationship and increase in our understanding of God, I think our understanding of how we worship Him will only grow. And it will only increase our worship of Him. And ultimately leading to that one day when we will be physically in His presence, face-to-face with the God who created all things, living in an eternal state of worship of Him. You know, at the beginning I said, right, so I said, each year on Father's Day we look at a passage about the life of a man in the Bible. And if you've noticed over the past handful of years, we've chosen men that are listed in Hebrews 11. Uh, I was taught really early on that Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith. And in there we see a bunch of different names of individuals and the faith that they had, right? They, the men and women listed there, they all attest to the value of living by faith, right? They compose what, what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 1, the cloud of witnesses. And they give a powerful testimony that, they should come, that we should come to faith in God's truth in Christ. So as the writer of Hebrews finishes out talking about the faith of Rahab, Rahab, we, we then read in Hebrews eleven thirty two, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. And he just was like, hey, I there's not enough time. I'm just, and he just starts listing some names, and then he's like, okay, I'm going to end the names because there's a million more names, and so I'll even t- spend much time just naming names. And one of these names listed here is the one that comes to mind when I think of an example of worshiping God. Can you guess which one it is in that verse? We got Gideon, Brock, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. If you guess David, then maybe you're thinking along the same lines as me this morning, right? And when I think of someone whom we read of that worshiped God with his mind, his will, his emotions, and body in response to who God is and what he says and what he does, I think of David, right? We have a lot of recordings of David's worship. We read this morning a prayer that David prayed, right? During our scripture reading time, Miss Sandy read that for us of a prayer that David prayed as he gathered the people in one final assembly before his death. And in his prayer, he recognized that all things come from God. He recognized that it is God who is worthy of our worship. And in that prayer, and in that passage there we read, he, he's thanking God. He's saying, hey, we're given, compiled all this stuff. We're going to build a temple for you. And we've compiled all this stuff, but let's be honest. We're giving you some of your stuff back. All things are from you. You created all things. You are the creator. You are worthy. And in that, fitting for Father's Day, he gives a challenge to his son Solomon, who's going to build the temple. You know, when we think of David and his worship of God, we often consider the Psalms that David wrote. I mean, there are over 70 Psalms attributed to David. And these Psalms fall into each of the various genres, right, within these Psalms. And so one of the reasons that we probably associate David with the Psalms so much is that no other author has more than around like a dozen psalms attributed to them. So there's just a vast number going towards David. So last week, we read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. If you would, turn your Bible, because I want you to see this here. Last week, we read in our scripture reading, Colossians 3, 1 through 15. And in that, we read that uh, verse 13, and this is where we were focusing last week, verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So those two verses summarize up our last two weeks. Well, guess what we see in verse 16. Okay, and I think we didn't read 16 and 17 last week, even though it's our part of that paragraph, because we had to say them for this week. Verse 16 and 17 reads this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we have three weeks kind of summed up in three verses right there. And as Paul writes of believers, right, he writes in this, after he's writing of believers having put to death what is earthly and putting on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And we read the command that we are to dwell in Christ richly. When the word of Christ dwells in us, there will be teaching, right, positive instruction, right, what our teachers do, right, they teach us, they give us the things we need to know. There's admonishing, okay, negative correction, something needs to change, and thankful worship through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it's just one way that we do teaching and, and admonition, right? Music is a vehicle through which a message is delivered, and, and as the church, one of the ways that we worship God is through singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, at the beginning, I said I'm not going to be able to cover all of how we worship. So we're going to focus in today from verse 16 on just this singing. You know, there's this, there was, uh, when I was growing up, there was what we called the youth seminars. And so they happened each year, and they happened across New York State, and they would have them at different places. And it was a bunch of teenagers would get together, and they had a speaker that would come in. And then we'd do all these little workshops, and, and we'd sing music and play games, and, and I if I remember, mostly what I remember about youth seminars is the kid that ate the cow tongue, um, the kid that, like, managed to eat, like, the big five-pound bag of Skittles in under a minute. Um, I, I remember the, the push-up competitions, right? So you're getting, like, the idea, like, I'm not necessarily remembering what we spoke about or what was preached. I know the Bible was preached. I'm sure I learned something there, but, like, I can't specifically in my mind remember it. But there was one year, I don't know, I must have been, like, 14 or 15 years old, and my mom was the one who drove the church van up for us. I think it was shortly after uh, my youth pastor had just had his brain tumor removed, and so he wasn't able to go with us, so my mom had filled in. She drove the church van, and, uh, and so she was there with us, and, and we're having a good time or whatever, and I guess she noticed something about me, and so she confronted me about it, the admonishment <laughs> um, part. Uh, she didn't do it in singing, so she didn't come to me singing, right? But she, uh, but she came to me, and she said, she said, Ethan, you look like you're having a really great time. I see you laughing and hanging out with your friends and meeting new kids from other churches, and you seem to be having a good time. And, and I see you even taking a few notes in your, in your Bible as the message is going on. But as soon as you start singing, you just look really glum. You just, like, are pouting. Why is that? And that, from that moment on, something just clicked in my head, the value of music and worship. I, from that day forward, like, I, I was the guy who just... And like head down and just say, I don't know. I don't know why it was. I can't tell you. But, but right there in that moment, something, and not maybe right there in that moment, but something started working in my, in my head. And as I'm sitting there and I'm like, I am stuck. Why am I stuck? What is the point of music? Why don't I like music? I'm not a huge musically talented person. My brother got all those genes. So uh, he picks up an instrument and he can play it. Uh, and uh, that's not me. So I really appreciate the worship team and, and them stepping up to fill in today. And Daryl, appreciate you stepping in. Gil, and then they're, they're normally on a team, and then the others just filling in as they, as they do. But music is important, and singing 
is important. And something that day with my mom talking to me at a youth event, man, like the, all the things you're not supposed to do as a parent, right? Like call out your kid at a youth event in front of all, no, she didn't do it in front of them and all my friends. But it started clicking. And so from that day forward, my understanding of music, and I think we talked about it on the ride back. I think I sat in the pastor seat and we talked about verses that talk about singing and, and why we sing. You know, but when we think of David, we may go to David and Goliath, or maybe the ongoing rivalry Saul had with David, right? Uh, David was constantly uh, being hunted by Saul and he's trying to kill him, right? But what was David doing when Saul first tried to kill him? What was David doing when Saul first tried to kill him? Playing a harp. Hey, you guys remember from last week, got to answer the questions or we'll just stand here, right? So often when we think of David, right, we think of music and especially his psalms. David worshiped God through the psalms he wrote. And with, without beginning our summer series of songs of summer, I want us to observe some things about worship that we see in a couple of David's psalms. So if you would turn with these Psalm 51. We'll be in psalms for the rest of our morning here. We're going to flip between a couple, three different ones to be exact. I think. I don't think I added a fourth. But in Psalm 51... We can see right from the heading of the verse 1 that David wrote this after the prophet Nathan had come to David and confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. And if you don't know that story, just to summarize real briefly, David did something he wasn't supposed to do. That's a sin is. And so he had taken another man's wife. He had had that man killed. And uh, he had taken her as his own. And Nathan tells him a story that helps him understand how wrong what he did was. And then all of a sudden he realizes he's the person in that story. And he realizes he's wrong. And uh, when David recognized that he has sinned, he worships God in this way. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. If you'd follow along. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And then if we jump down to verses 15 to 17. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And so I want us to observe three things here. One, a broken and contrite heart. Three things we notice about the way David worships, or what David says about worship. First, a broken and contrite heart. David, in his worship, recognizes that, that he needs God's forgiveness and God's help to worship. David says that God desires a broken and contrite heart. So what does contrite mean? A feeling or showing sorrow and remorse for the sin in one's life. A contrite heart is when one's mind or will has been broken, so they no longer run after the things they want, but surrender to the things God wants. A broken and contrite heart says, I will no longer do this the way I want to do it or on my terms. Instead, we surrender to God's way, right? This is the type of heart that is fully surrendered to God in worship. That day when my mom said that to me, there was something in my heart that recognized what I wanted, just stand there, not sing, was wrong. It was what I wanted, it was my own idea, and I needed to submit myself to God. I needed to have a broken and contrite heart, and, 
Not that it came right away, okay? It was a work in progress, but is a work in progress. Right? But this isn't, this isn't the only psalm where, we, where David recognizes his failures. And so we're actually going to go to a fourth psalm, but you don't have to turn there, okay? Okay, this is just to add on to the other ones. In Psalm 32, David recognizes the need for us to acknowledge our sins and seek God's forgiveness. You know, when we have a broken and contrite heart and come to God in complete dependence on him, we can with thankfulness in our hearts sing out, and this is what David sings out in Psalm 32. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In Psalm 32, again, David is confessing his sin. You know, conceptually, I think we are able to understand this broken and contrite heart, right? One that seeks forgiveness for our sins. However, what does that look like in real life? How do we practically do this? If we really do say, I surrender to God's ways, what will that look like? Do you still do things on your terms? And if we truly surrendered to God's will, then we recognize that all aspects of our life need to be in accordance with God's will. You know, a, past, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Leonard said, when, when speaking of giving, that sac- I asked him if I could quote him, okay? So he said yes. Sacrifice means to give up something you love for someone you love more. The contrite heart here, it says, is our sacrifice to God. We must give up something for the one we love more. We must, in worship of God, give up our own desires. So when we worship God with this attitude, we teach others that it is all about God. It's all about who he is and what he has done for us and what he is and will do for us. Do you come before God in singing with a broken and contrite heart? Think of what that means as it comes forward for music. As it comes forward for singing. All right, next let's go to Psalm 63. So one, a broken and contrite heart. Two, intentional worship. We see from example of David's intentional worship. Psalm 63, 1. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. You know, when David writes this psalm, it says that he was in the wilderness of Judah. You know, he's hiding out there on the run for his life. Maybe this is one of those times um, when Saul's trying to kill him, or maybe it was when his son Absalom, uh, who was trying to take over the kingdom, was chasing after him. What we do know is that the wilderness of Judah receives very little rainfall and is a very inhospitable place. And it's this picture that David uses to describe his desire to seek God and his will. Some translations say earnestly and others say early, I seek you. I think that it's, it's an eagerness to be with the Lord that David is expressing here, right? It's earnestly, early, intently, promptly. Like all those words can be used there. This is the way in which David saw God. His soul thirsts for God like one who thirsts for water when they are in a desert. I don't know if you've ever been without water where you felt like you couldn't get to water. I mean, living here in uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains, we don't really have a shortage of water. But when I was in middle school, we went on a guy's hike overnight, and we thought there was supposed to be a creek with some water source there. And we got there in the middle of August, and the water source was dried up. So we hiked on to the next water source we thought. 
and there was a dead carcass in it. And so we didn't have any water assets. So we pitched our tents, and we hiked out the next morning. And when we got back to the car where we could get to a water source, everybody was like, water. They were being a little dramatic. They were middle schoolers. But, uh, but it was this idea. And we had been, like, in an area that was green and wasn't like it was that dry and hu- or dry. You know, it was kind of a nice environment. and wasn't that hot out. And uh, we were in the shade. But just that little experience made us recognize how much we wanted or craved water. And in that environment, David is saying that is his desire to seek God. His soul thirsts so much for God. He craves it. He's going to be looking for it. He's going to be going towards it earnestly, eagerly, intently. Why is he seeking after God? And is it, why is his soul thirsting for God? Because God is the God of power and glory. It says it right there. God is the power, God of power and glory. You start hearing the same words over and over in all these verses. Because God's steadfast love is better than life. That's why his soul searches for it. Because of all this, David says that his lips will praise God, and he will lift up his hands in praise to God. When we come together and sing in worship of God, are you like the 15-year-old Ethan at the youth conference, or are you like David? Eager to raise your voice, your lips. Eager to raise your hands in worship of the one who is power and glory. You know, maybe this song, right, combining these two thoughts here, contrite heart, intentional worship, maybe the song that was chosen was not the one you prefer, right? Sorry, that was mine and Daryl's fault. We had to kind of throw it together last minute. And like I said, I'm not the music person, and so if, if we didn't sing the verse you wanted us to sing, that's my fault. I'll just take all the blame, right? Maybe you're distracted by things that are going on in your life. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep last night. I can understand that one. But when we come together to worship God in song, are you intentional in your worship? Is your heart broken so that you're there just to worship God? Are you intentional to make it all about God? And when we make it all about Him, we teach and admonish those singing with us. One quick note. Have you ever found yourself just standing there in your row with your eyes closed? Or or maybe you're looking around uh, at those singing, but you're standing there in silence, right? If we're teaching, because I was just saying, you got to sing out, right? So if you're, if we're teaching each other through these songs, sometimes it just makes me listen and internally repent for the, ad, the admonishment of the song or silently pray that God would help me to apply what I'm being taught. You know, just, I mean, what was it? Ten minutes ago, just before the kids left, we're singing the last song there. And early at the beginning of the service, I had asked Tinsley, hey, do you recognize this song? She's like, no, I, I don't really recognize it. And she's not old enough to read, right? So she's not even in kindergarten yet. So we're singing Living Hope, and, and we get to the chorus, and she, she whispers in my ear. Uh, she didn't whisper. I think she probably just yelled it. <laughs> um, I recognize this song. So even as a five-year-old, she's being taught through the music. There's intentionality. And this is only her second week not being in the nursery during the service. So she's hearing it being taught to her. Are you intentional in your worship of God through singing? Have you come to worship God with a broken and contrite heart when you come? We'll we'll go to our final one here. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Turn over to Psalm 34. Broken and contrite heart, intentional in your worship. Taste and see that the Lord is good.
read along as I start in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. And if you look down at verse 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know, when we come together to sing and worship to God, the songs we sing communicate truths about who God is, what he's done, is doing, and will do. Other songs express our desire to glorify him and serve him, but those songs that teach and, and admonish us stick with us throughout the week, right? As we're at work or with our family or spending time with friends, these songs are on our mind, and we praise God with them. On Thursday morning, I had the privilege of, of sitting with Marion Nicely and his kids uh, in their living room as they shared of their mom's passing and, and stories of the past. And, uh, you know, there was lots of funny stories and, and tears and, and just laughing and uh, some really funny stories. <laughs> um, but, you know, as we talked, um, we began to talk about what her service this afternoon would look like. And one of the first things that Marion said was that there was a hymn that he wanted to be sung as a special music. It was a hymn that Pam really liked. And he asked if Aaliyah Clement could sing it. And here's his reason why. He could hear her voice in his head singing it. You know, Aaliyah sings here regularly on our worship team and special music. That story, I mean, it, the songs, the music we sing here were on Marion's mind. And I've known that the praise of the Lord is continually heard from him just as we read in these verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. The music that's sung here, the people who sing here, they taught Marion. Marion's like the guy who teaches our Sunday school classes, right? But he was being taught by those songs. And the song is, Fill My Cup, Lord. I think that's the name of it. You know, it's this reason that David invites us all to magnify the Lord with him and exalt the name of God. I want to I finish by, by wrapping up with verse 8 here this morning. Right? Verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And that idea of tasting that the Lord is good is seen in the New Testament. But David here, he has recognized it. He has seen it. He knows that the Lord is good. David has multiple times in his life taken refuge in the Lord. He has experienced that. Some of the most tangible moments when we recognize that the Lord is good and that we are in his arms, that we are secure with him, is when we're singing together on a Sunday morning. As someone who has accepted Christ as our Savior, as someone who is a child of God, we for sure have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have taken refuge in him. Let me ask you friends that are here, maybe visitors, have you ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that it is God alone who is worthy of all glory, honor, and power? You know, when we accept Jesus Christ, God's Son, as our Savior and call on the name of the Lord to be saved, we experience the joy that David had in Psalm 34. It's as simple as ABC. The Bible tells us that A, admit 
that you, like me, like all people, do stuff wrong. We are sinners. We have done things that are contrary to God's will. We admit that we need his rescue, that we need his saving. B, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And just like he said, just like that, we have communicated, he have communicated to us through the gospel writers the story of Jesus. Believe on him. And then C, call. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here and you've never done that, right, would you do so today? And if you have more questions, talk to me about it, or the one who brought you, or one of the deacons. But we see three quick examples from these psalms of David in worship. And as a church, we sing. It's one aspect of how we worship God. He is worthy of all things. And these are three things we could learn from David. That we would have a broken and contrite heart. That we would intentionally worship and that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning and worshiping you. We've worshiped you, Lord, through your song, through your word being read by Miss Cindy, through spending time in fellowship and gathering with each other, through praying for one another. Lord, thank you for the privilege you give us of serving you, of worshiping you. Lord, as we, as we finish out our service by worshiping you in song, Lord, I pray that it would glorify you. May we go this week remembering the songs that we have sung here today, the other songs we've seen, the songs that we've heard that communicate your truths of how great you are, how much you love us. Lord, I pray that it would be on our lips, that other people would see the joy that we have, and we'd be able to use what we've learned through these songs to share of how good you are and that you are our refuge. In Jesus' name. Name I pray.